find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. We're going to start off our show today with our Blast from the Past moment. This is where we give you a question to think about and provide the answer at the end of the show. So in the 1950s, comedian Lenny Bruce was an obscene but gifted social satirist who ultimately protected the First Amendment. He used obscenity to explode dip- deeply held prejudices. He provoked the wrath of the Catholic Church, the police, and many who knew nothing more about him except that he was profane and obnoxious. He was arrested several seven times, I believe, and eventually abandoned his career to become a free speech crusader. He was involved in many history-making trials that finally ended with his exoneration, but it did destroy him personally. So the question for the day, who was the private investigator who researched obscenity laws and relevant court cases that ultimately helped vindicate Lenny Bruce? Many thanks to Ben Harrell, who's the founder and creator of PI Museum, PIMuseum.com, for his research and this interesting history. Also, a couple of housekeeping items. For those of you listeners who are private investigators, there are two very important West Coast conferences on the horizon. The Conference of the California Association of Licensed Investigators will be in Reno, Nevada, June 24th to the 26th. Information can be found at cali-pi.org, and then the National Association of Legal Investigators Conference will be in San Francisco, June 16th to the 18th, and you can get information on that at NALIONLINE, N-A-L-I-O-N-L-I-N-E.org, and my guest today, Tim Young, who you're going to be hearing from in a moment, will be a speaker at that conference. And so those of you that want to make a trip to the West Coast, you can probably hit both conferences since they are uh, exactly one week apart. So this morning, our topic, what happened to the most hated woman in America, Madeline Murray O'Hare, who offended millions when she advocated keeping religion out of the schools in the 60s. Those of us that lived through that era will remember her well because she was a very vocal person in the 70s and 80s specifically. 
She vanished along with her son, John Garth, and her granddaughter, Robin, in, in 1995. She was a strident advocate for atheism and founded the American Atheist Association and was also the president. Her lawsuit, Murray v. Kurtlett, led to a landmark Supreme Court decision, and it, that ended government-sponsored prayer in the American public schools. And many of us who grew up um, before that landmark decision will remember that uh, prayer in the schools wasn't an unusual thing to have happen. So today's guest is Tim Young, and he has the answers to what happened to Madeline Murray O'Hare. Tim's a private investigator located in Sun City, Arizona. He owns and operates his private investigation agency called Pathfinder Investigations. Tim has been in the business of locating people for over 15 years. He says he brings unfindable witnesses into court, places high-profile con men behind bars, and reunites missing children with their parents. Very important. The case involving Madeline Marie O'Hare consumed almost two years of Tim's life and resulted with Tim directing an award-winning documentary entitled Good Riddance. Tim's appeared on America's Most Wanted, Nightline, City Confidential, um, and several other programs. So good morning, Tim. Good morning, Francie. Thanks for being here today. This is such an interesting process that you went through, an interesting topic. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, people are always interested, Tim, in hearing how someone gets to be in the private investigation business. Tell us a little bit about how you came a be- became a PI. Well, I first started out repossessing cars. Uh, we have a road here in Phoenix called Van Buren, and along that road are a bunch of, uh, you know, you can finance here type dealerships. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw an ad in the paper where they were hiring, they were looking for people to repossess cars. I thought, well, I can do that. And uh, I didn't really like repossessing the cars. That wasn't very much fun because back in those days we had to use a dent puller to yank out the ignition and then stick a screwdriver in the ignition to start the car. We we weren't given a set of keys for the vehicle. Hmm. But I found that I sort of had a knack for finding these people. Uh, And that uh, eventually led to uh, me being a bill collector for about two whole weeks. Uh, And and during that time... You didn't like uh, that either, huh? I did not like that. Uh, I love finding the people, though. And uh, one of the people I was looking for, there was a, an inquirer on his credit bureau report from a PI agency, and I contacted these folks, and they said, hey, you know, there's a $500 reward if you find this guy. Hmm. So that's about all I needed to hear. And uh, I found him. They ended up hiring me, and that's how I got into it. Well, how fun is that? How long ago was that, Tim? Oh, my goodness. Um, that would have been back in the collection agency days. We're talking 19... 19- 88, 89. Okay. Now, you were in Texas then, right? No, I was in Arizona. You, was, you were in Arizona, but you, you came from Texas originally? Yeah, I was born in Texas and um, and the product of divorced parents, so I've been back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Ended up landing in Arizona. You got it. Well, how in the world did you get involved in working on this case? Well, in 1996... I was a 28-year-old private investigator living in Canyon Lake, Texas. And at that point in my career, I knew, I, like I said, I had somewhat of a knack for locating these people. 
and uh, I decided I was going to make a name for myself. So I I started seeking uh, hard-to-find people. Hmm. And it didn't take long. That opportunity presented itself. You know, I really wanted to further my career. Uh, and a, a little tiny newspaper article showed up in the newspaper about uh, uh, these three missing people that had disappeared from Austin, Texas, a year exactly a year prior to the article. Mm-hmm. And uh, based on that article, I just I just knew right away this was a case I wanted to work. And you just did this on your own. You were you didn't have a client. No, I didn't have a client. Uh, I thought it might be a little strange to contact a newspaper reporter uh, and tell him, "Hey, I think I can find these people." But I rolled the dice and and contacted him, and I must have sounded pretty confident because he and his bosses hired me right away. And that was John McCormick. That was uh, John McCormick with the San Antonio Express News. Okay, all right. Now, so. Tell me how you approached him. That would be really interesting. You just walked in his office one day and said, I think I can find these people? I called him, and uh, I was as upfront and honest as I could be. I said, uh, this, this is what I do. I want, you know, this could be a feather in my cap. Uh, we could set it up where I can work behind the scenes. Nobody knows I'm working it until she's found. Once she's found... Uh, you know, it's going to say, you know, it's going to be credited to Tim Young that Madeline Murray here was located by Tim Young. Okay, and they agreed to those terms? Uh, yeah, I think he appreciated that honesty. You know, my motives for finding Madeline, uh, you know, it wasn't to check on Madeline, John, and Robin's welfare. My motives were very, very uh, personal. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, that honesty, I'm sure. And, and you were confident evidently, that you would be able to resolve this in some way or another. Like I said, I was 28, so uh, I was very <laughs> confident. Um, I wasn't old enough to know what I was getting myself into. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so they, so they actually hired you and paid you money to do this? Well, they agreed to pay my expenses. Okay. And uh, it ended up where they, they stopped paying my expenses at about $3,000, uh, and that was about three months into the case. So after that, uh, I worked the case for free. At, at that point, I mean, you're in it so deep, you can't just quit working it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- that's what we ended up agreeing to. So and were you doing this full-time? I was doing it full-time. I would say I was probably putting in at least eight hours a day into the case and still trying to make a living working my other cases at the same time. Where did you even start? All you, well, all you knew was that they were missing. Like I said, it, I was a little cocky, but it looked easy. First off, you know, when you look at their photographs, these are very distinctive-looking people, people that would stand out in a restaurant or an airport or at some hotel. Mm-hmm. Second... Over a half a million dollars had disappeared along with the O'Hares, and it appeared they had absconded with that money. I'd found absconders before uh, that had taken off with uh, larger amounts of money than that. And most importantly, you know, this was a family. So if I found one, I'd probably find all of them. They would probably be together. Sure. And as a missing persons investigator, you know, I knew that that was a humongous advantage. Um, yeah. 
you know what I mean, as far as friends and associates and significant mm-hmm. others, that was just immediately multiplied by three. Now, did you know at that point, Tim, that um, their home was just kind of left like they disappeared off the face of the earth? No, um, I had read some information that said that that was the case. I had read other information that 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 wasn't the case, so I really didn't take that uh, to heart. I didn't know really anything about it except that these were three family members. They had taken off with money, and they were probably together. That combination of facts was really what I based my decision to work the case on. Okay, and and did at that point did the police know? I mean, because according to what I read about it, it, looked like they just like vanished out of their kitchen. Right. Uh, the police were probably aware, but the the sad fact is, is nobody had reported these people missing. All mm-hmm. none of the uh, people in Madeline's organization had contacted the Austin Police Department and said. Uh, Hey, you know something fishy is going on here. We're worried about our leader. Uh, we need an investigation here. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody ever contacted APD uh, to file a missing persons report. And her second son, William, was estranged, so he didn't file anything. Well, actually, he is the one who, uh, a little over a year after they disappeared, uh, had said, "Well, you know, if nobody else is going to say, you know." file an official report, I'll do it. I'm a relative, and I'm going to I'll contact the APD and, and let them know. So that's when a missing persons report was finally filed, which was by her estranged son, uh, born-again born Christian, Bill Murray. Bill, yeah, Bill Murray. Okay, this is a good place to take a break. Um, we'll be right back after a short uh, break, just in a couple minutes. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. 
you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigator Ken Young corroborated for almost two years with San Antonio's newspaper reporter John McCormick to find out what happened to Madeline Murray O'Hare. Tim, let's pick up where we left off. Sure. So, uh, you know, I, like I said, I had approached uh, the San Antonio Express News, and I, I really got lucky as far as that's concerned because it was John McCormick that had written the article, and John's uh, probably the smartest person I've ever worked with. That's great. Uh, he's also one of the hardest working. I mean, we talked five Ten times a day, and I mean from six a.m. all the way up till midnight. Mm. At times, there was just never. It was never an inconvenience to call him about a lead, and vice versa. So, it was kind of a strange relationship. We were just strictly business. We had. It's kind of funny because we had absolutely nothing in common, and I do mean nothing. Uh, but that turned out to be a strength because. We'd look at the same information, but from different angles. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember after the case, one time uh, we went out to the seafood restaurant, and <laughs> we just couldn't even hold a conversation. It was strange because we couldn't relate to each other without this common case to talk about. Oh, how funny. Yeah, it's it was uh, strictly business, but uh, I could not have asked for a better partner. Well, then he has great things to say about you. As well. Oh, really? Yes, he does. I'm very surprised to hear that. No. <laughs> he has great things to say about you and your, your tenacity and your, your work ethic and all those things. So um, that's a very cool association. It was. It was. Like I said, I got really, really lucky working with John. Well, you know, so for people that are listening that have never heard of this woman before, because I'm sure there are, I mean, she disappeared in 95 and the majority of her... 
uh, involvement in the media was in the 80s, mostly. Uh, why don't you give us some background on who she was? Well, in 1963, uh, you know, she had uh, brought a case to the Supreme Court, which involved her son, Bill Murray. And uh, according to Madeline, you know, she had gone to visit Bill one time at school and saw that he was, you know, being forced to pray. And, you know, Bill was an atheist, and she just couldn't have that. Mm-hmm. And she saw that akin to, let's just say, there was a Jewish person there. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd feel kind of funny if you were Jewish uh, praying to a Christian God in school. Sure. So uh, from there, um, you know, she pushed it and pushed it and pushed it till it finally got to the Supreme Court. You know, a lot of bad things have been said about this woman, but, it, you know, especially the manner in which she acted back in the 60s, but you kind of had to act that way. You kind of had to be outspoken and brazen to get any attention. And the things that she was saying back then uh, certainly got attention. Well, it certainly did. Cause I, I mean, I, re- I re- remember it well, and she was uh, a very easy person not to like because of the way she presented her views. Right, and that lasted all the way up until the time she disappeared. Yeah. So you remember praying in school yourself? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, uh, as I was telling you on the break, I mean, I grew up in a fairly homogeneous um, community in southern Colorado um, where people were, you know, essentially they're Protestant or Catholic. Right. And that was it. So, um, so having prayer in the schools was, you know, not, nothing anybody thought about that it was a problem. And of course, now we, I mean, now we look at it much differently. I mean, here we are in the, in the, uh, third century, or, um, that, um, we look at things, uh, people's rights. I mean, uh, we're so much more, um, diverse. I know one of our schools, um, here in my area has, the junior high has 119 primary languages. Just in one junior high school. And think about how strange it would be for any one of those classes to... Oh, absolutely. 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 You know, so I guess she did a good thing, ultimately. It was just the way she communicated, which was uh, offensive to many. Very many. Yeah, yeah. You know, she had death threats and... uh, uh, You know, I think that she liked the attention. I think that she... uh, reveled in it, and I think she got hooked on it, you know, um, after the the case had been uh, done, it it was just, it was, it was over. There was no, there were no more media at her door, Mm -hmm. there were no more newspapers calling, uh, and she had to find a way to make a living. So she turned this victory uh, into into a way to make a living. Well, and and even before this, she was always controversial, right? I mean, she was... Um, one of the things I read is that she wanted to defect to the Soviet Union. Right. And the Soviets denied them entry. Uh, that is correct. <laughs> so, so here she is coming back. And she took, 
I guess he had two children at that point. It must have been uh, William and John Gar- John Garth. Exactly. That she tried to take to the Soviet Union. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then um, you know she went to college and got um, uh, went to law school. Mm-hmm. But she failed the bar exam. She never practiced law. But then right. she referred to herself as Doctor O'Hare. Right. I guess because she thought the Juris Doctorate. And she had people refer her to it, and one time in a deposition, uh, she was sort of confronted with that. You know, why do people call you Dr. O'Hare? And she just said, oh, because it's cute. Yeah, yeah. And I I also found it kind of interesting that she was a psychiatric social worker. Absolutely. You know, Madeline had some attributes, for sure. You know, she, she served our country. You know, she went oh, right. overseas and served her country. That's right. She was in the Women's Army Corps, wasn't she? Correct. Okay. But, you know, it's funny because, like all atheists and some Christians, Madeline believes that ethics and religion are by no means related. Uh, but in Madeline's case, she didn't, <laughs> she really didn't have either one, ethics or religion. Hmm. Now she um, she first filed the lawsuit in is it was it in Baltimore the Abington School District yes okay and then that that's when it was taken up to the United States Supreme Court and that court actually voted eight to one in her favor correct so it sounds like there wasn't even much controversy at the Supreme Court level well there are people today that say that you know remember hey it was the 1960s and the uh, you know, it was a very democratic-leaning court, and that's why, she, you know, there's still people today, Francie, that want prayer back in schools, that are fighting to have that's that true. back in school. Yeah. Well, I also thought it was interesting, and I guess probably one of the reasons law enforcement wasn't too interested in finding out what happened to her is she, she assaulted five police officers in Baltimore. Well, according to Madeline, it was 13. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And she had fled those charges, uh, and she had fled to Mexico, where she believed that was the strongest country on earth that had uh, separation of church and state issues. Uh-huh. And uh, at one point, she was uh, arrested and brought back to the United States. From and, Mexico? Correct. Uh-huh. And uh, when she was brought back to the United States, she was brought to San Antonio and from San Antonio to Austin. And that's, that's how she ended up making her home in Austin. Interesting. Well, and, and, and actually the um, lawsuit against the school district wasn't the only suit she filed. It's the, the one we hear about uh, because it was a Supreme Court decision. But didn't she file an uh, Aeronautics and Space Administration lawsuit against Apollo 8, reading of Genesis? Well, absolutely. I mean, the NASA space program is a government entity. You, you're not allowed to, you shouldn't be praying in space. You're, you're praying on government property. You're in the capsule. Well, and I thought it was funny that the U.S. Supreme Court rejected it for lack of jurisdiction. It <laughs> 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 struck me very funny. You know, and back when she was doing things like that and trying to remove In God We Trust off of our money, uh, 
Mm-hmm. That's right. I forgot about that. She was really a hero to many 1960s and 70s radicals. She, you know, she made a good living off that circuit, going from college to college and speaking. Uh, you know, she was hated, but she was uh, she was admired too. Well, and as we, as you and I were talking on the break, uh, I mean, when I was growing up, I'm not even sure I knew what an atheist was. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think there was a lot of uh, confusion about what was the difference between an atheist and agnostic Right. when I was growing up. And so she actually made atheism a household word. Yes, she did. Everybody knows what an atheist is today. Absolutely. Yeah. And, oh. you know, there were a lot of atheists. Uh, obviously, there were atheists then. And there were some that weren't real crazy about Madeline representing atheism in that radical way. Mm-hmm, but, sure, uh, like I said, I think, looking back on it, that's really what she needed to do to be heard. Re- Are you saying that you don't think she really believed it? Oh, no, no, no. No, she she believed it. There's there's no doubt about that. Okay. Um, she, she believed uh, in her cause. But to be sort of uh, more than outspoken, you know, to be uh, vulgar and uh, say some of the, you know, crazy things that she said, I think some of that was planned to get attention. That's what made headlines. That's what got her booked on television shows was that radicalism. Yeah, she was pretty outrageous. I read a quote from her um, because she got a lot of hate mail. And I think she actually moved because of the way she was treated at some one place she lived. And one of the letters she received in the mail said something like, uh, May Jesus, who you so vigorously deny, change you into a Paul. And this was her response that's quoted. Isn't that lovely? Christine Jorgensen had to go to Sweden for an operation, but me, they'll fix with faith painlessly and for nothing. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, pretty funny. So she did say outrageous, make outrageous statements. Absolutely. I mean, she she just, people were appalled, you know, and back, back then, atheism was akin to communism. Those two words were inseparable. And uh, there's nothing worse in the 1960s than being a communist. Unless, of course, you were an atheist. Right, that's right. Yeah, that, that's true, because that was uh, also following the era of uh, rooting out communists out of the United States. Yep. Okay. So, um, anything else that you remember about her that you thought was re- really important? Well, I, I guess she was on the Phil Donahue show several times. Well, you know, the things that we're talking about now are things that I learned really after the case. You know, Tim, let's take a break, and uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes with Tim Young's fascinating journey. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Madeline Murray O'Hare earned the title of the most hated woman in America from an article in Life magazine in 1964. She disappeared in 1995, and private investigator Tim Young took on an extraordinary mission to find out what happened to Madeline, her son John Garth, and her granddaughter Robin. So, Tim, um, you were just saying that you didn't know about all of her background uh, at the time you started the investigation, and you really didn't care about that part. Not really. You know, I, I got the, the Cliff Notes version, um, and to, to me, that didn't really have anything to do with uh, the circumstances behind her disappearance. So I worked it just like any other case, so, you know, sort of backtracked maybe three months prior to them disappearing and then uh, and went from there. So um, what were your leads? What I guess it's a two-part question. What were your leads, and and uh, what was the significant lead that broke the case for you? The the amount of leads actually was overwhelming. The amount of uh, information that McCormick and I worked and developed and processed was huge. Um, I remember at one point McCormick said to me, "Well, we know of one thousand places the O'Hares are not at." <laughs> Yeah, there was uh, there was all kinds of uh, 
things that were just, okay, we almost got them. We're so close. For instance, uh, there was a, a couple of atheists that had died in Houston, and their identities and their credit credit cards and stuff like that were still being used, and uh, it was, you know, we thought we had them. Bing, bang, boom. Madeline had relations with these people. She had access, because they work for her, she had access to their identities. And uh, that was a big lead for, you know, five days. But there was, there was a thousand other leads like that that made you think, okay, we're, we're right on their butts. Okay. But the main, uh, it, it was strange because when we worked, like I said, you know, it was, uh, you know, we had friends, family, associates, times three. These are people that we could focus on. These would be weak links to where the O'Hara's were at. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't have any friends, family, or associates. Yeah, so the theory was that they took all this money they collected and, uh, and absconded to another country. Correct. Okay. And when somebody does something like that, you know, there's going to be a, a, uh, a trail leading to that. You just got to dig hard enough to find it. But uh, it was just one of the strangest things I'd ever seen in my life. You know, Robin never had a, didn't have a boyfriend. Huh. She didn't have a girlfriend she could go and just chit-chat with. John didn't have a significant other. Um. These were three very, very insulated people who lived together, worked together, uh, did, and vacationed together. They did everything together. They were never seen apart, were they? No. Interesting. No. That, of course, that wasn't something uh, I knew before going into the case, but that mm-hmm. it, that took, you know, certain parts of my game plan just went right out the freaking window. <laughs> and and didn't wasn't there... Um, Part of their tracks were covered for a while. Um, people remembered talking to them. There were rumors um, all over the place, and, and that's why I say we knew of a thousand places they were not at because every single rumor that was uh, heard, we we investigated and checked it out until the very end. We ruled it out. We either knew 100% it was accurate or 100% it was not accurate. Uh-huh. Nothing was left that we followed up that was iffy. There was nothing that was, oh, well, we'll come back to that. So what broke the case? There were a couple of things that broke the case. One, after we had basically uh, worked the case for a very long time and ruled out everything but foul play, uh, we appeared on a television show called Nightline. John and I did. Mm -hmm. And there was an individual that saw that show. And he called a couple of days later after the show and said, uh, you know, I want to be anonymous, but uh, I need to tell you, I think my brother might have had something to do with this uh, missing atheist lady in Austin. And this is the brother of David Waters? This is the brother of Danny Fry. Of Danny Fry, okay. So tell us about these two people. Well, Bob Fry is the individual who called in... uh, and he, even though he waited for so long to call in, Bob was actually a pretty brave individual for calling because uh, he was risking his life by doing it because he had had contact with these other, with the three people that uh, had uh, done some bad things to the O'Hares. Mm-hmm. 
at any rate, it was it was actually in the very beginning. It was just one more lead, just like the atheist in Houston, just like all the, the thousands of other leads that we'd followed up. It was just one more. But uh, within two or three hours, it started making sense. Within about two days, uh, holy crap, we've got something huge here. And within a week, we knew uh, who had taken the O'Hare's where they had taken the O'Hares, and that the O'Hares were probably dead. Wow. So what did you do at that point? Well, that's where McCormick and I split ways. We had never discussed in the beginning of the investigation, well, what do we do if we find out that these people had been kidnapped and murdered? We just didn't talk about that. We thought we were going to find these people that had had absconded with this money. And... Mm -hmm. uh, and that was that. So for a very short time, it was just myself, the tipster, and McCormick that knew what had happened to these people. Okay. And that's pretty heavy weight to have on your shoulders. For sure. And I had told uh, John, I said, you know, look, man, I've got to go to the cops with this. There's just absolutely no doubt what happened to these people. We have proof. I'm going to law enforcement. I'm not going to let, you know, I'm not going to cooperate with you writing a newspaper story about the three individuals that kidnapped Madeline Murray O'Hare so they can freaking take off. Remember, they've got, they've probably got all the all the O'Hare's money. Right. So uh, that's where we split ways, and it was a very, very rough uh, separation. Uh, and he, he wrote the story, and I went to the cops. Simultaneously? Simultaneously. And what was the reaction from So was that the Austin police? I went to the Austin police, yes, because uh, they were the only law enforcement agency that had an open case against Madeline. So I went to APD, uh, emailed, faxed, certified, lettered, and called this information in. And uh, when I did finally speak with the detective, uh, I was I was laughed at. It's, it's in the film that... that uh, you spoke about earlier, good riddance, but it's uh, it, it was disheartening. It was not what I expected to to get from from the Austin Police Department. Was so, the reaction I expected? What happened then? When it was clear that APD was not going to do anything, I started making calls to the FBI in San Antonio because that's where the O'Hares it, uh, that's where the O'Hares were actually held captive. Um. Those calls were not returned. Uh, desperate, I contacted Madeline's uh, estranged son. He's the only next of kin of the family. And that's William. That's Bill Murray. Yes. Yeah, Bill Murray. Okay. And Bill did. Bill did the right thing. Bill contacted uh, senators and congressmen. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he copied my report and sent it directly to Dick Army. And Dick Army sent a letter to the FBI, and said, uh, you know, you might want to look at this uh, this old boy's information. Uh, not much happened after that. Uh, there was just not a big uh, barrage of people wanting to find out what had happened to Madeline Murray O'Hare. But then I got lucky and I met an incredible investigator for the IRS. His name is Ed Martin. Okay, Ed Martin? Ed Martin. Uh, who is actually a fellow uh, IntelliNet 
member now. I see. But he was a special agent for the IRS. And through the investigation, I had learned that he was in the background working uh, on a money laundering case against the O'Hares. Well, and actually, he was the one that ended up doing the investigation, wasn't he? He really was. He was the guy who said he was the very first law enforcement, uh, anybody related to law enforcement, that said, Hey, I, I hear you. You know, you've got you've got a case here. What you're saying makes sense. It makes perfect sense with what I've learned about the O'Hares. And uh, he was the, he, you know, he literally said to me, "We've got a family here that was murdered, and somebody needs to go to jail for that." And through Ed Martin, uh, the FBI was involved at his urging, and uh, that's when I met with the FBI and turned over all my information. That's great. Well, we need to take another break, Tim. More to come from private investigator Tim Young and the answer to the blast from the past. Historical questions. Stay tuned. Voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by.
Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Hey, it's time for the answer to our blasphemous half moment. Lenny Bruce made legal history during his many battles with the government. The question was, who was the private investigator who researched obscenity laws and relevant court cases that ultimately helped vindicate Lenny Bruce, the comedian? And the answer is, he was aided in many epic courtroom jousts by one of our own, private investigator Johnny Dolan III, born July 23, 1923, and died in 1988 in Springfield, Massachusetts, at age 64. He was the owner of Dolan Whitney Detective Agency, second only to Pinkerton for uniformed guards at one point. And his wife, uh, Elaine M. Calzolari Dolan, hyphen Dolan, John Dolan III opened another agency named the Arrow Detective Agency, and that agency continues today operating under a different management. John Dolan operated in Connecticut, Vermont, and his home state of Massachusetts. And he was active in the World Association of Detectives and the Council of International Investigators. So it's fun because I, I uh, didn't know John Dolan personally, but uh, I knew him. Um, and I knew his name. So back to Madeline Murray O'Hare and the investigation conducted by Tim. Um, go ahead, Tim. We want to tell us about what the big item that happened that sure. McCormick found. We're talking about some some big leads, and the, the other real big critical lead was, um, and remember, John McCormick and I were separated at this time. We were not really speaking, uh, but I got a telephone call from him and saying, uh, he gave me a heads up, said, you might want to watch the news tonight. What had happened is, is he saw a, a, a wire story. And the wire story was another anniversary story about this headless, handless corpse outside of Dallas in a town called Seagoville, Texas. And it was an unsolved case. And John thought to himself, uh, hmm, geez, that's funny. That's the exact same amount of time that uh, the O'Hares had been missing. I wonder if it's Danny Fry, because we had known uh, by searching for Danny Fry that uh, he was probably dead. Okay. And sure enough, he went to uh, the Dallas Sheriff's Department, and they did some DNA tests. Uh, John was able to uh, convince Danny Fry's family to, to get some samples, and it turned out to be Danny Fry. And once there was a body, uh, things happened on the case really fast, and I mean at a lightning speed. Hmm. Information was gathered. People were arrested. Uh, it, well, how did they focus on David Waters? How did they, or how did John and I, or well, how did 
how do, how was David was David Roland Waters? How was he identified? He was identified a, through our tip, our tipster, Bob Fry. Okay. Um, Bob Fry had said, "Look, my brother might have something to do with this uh, missing atheist woman, and uh, he was living with this guy named David Waters." Okay. Well, he called he called him Walters, but uh, we checked out David Walters, who turned out to be Waters, and uh, sure enough, David worked for Madeline, and uh, very very soon after, uh, I was able to put Mr. Waters in San Antonio the same time the O'Hares were there, and along David- with his. Waters but, had stolen some money from the he had pre- Yes, he had previously uh, stolen some money from the O'Hares and really gotten away with it. Um, there was 13 continuances on the case, and uh, it had irked Madeline like nothing else. Had. And uh, she had written a scathing uh, news article in her uh, week, or I'm sorry, a monthly bulletin mm-hmm. about his very, very nasty past uh, with details that were extremely embarrassing. And uh, he didn't like that, so... Because he was, he had been a convicted felon, right? Convicted murderer, yes. He'd been a convicted murderer, okay. He, and, she, and he was working for her, and she knew that. He, oh, yeah, she knew that because she liked hiring people like that. It was a, a, you know, a sense of power to have convicted felons working for you. Okay, so so then um, Waters was arrested. Waters was arrested, and so was uh, one of his partners, Gary Carr. The other partner, Danny Fry, uh, was not arrested because he died the same day the O'Hare's did, right. or a, about a day after the O'Hare's died. And then did Waters confess? Waters confessed. Uh, to the to the murder, the kidnapping and the murders uh, of the O'Hare family. Uh, he he put most of the blame on Gary Carr, but uh, you know this is a convicted felon. Who knows what the real truth is? And was Gary Carr convicted as well? Gary Carr was eventually convicted of robbery and extortion. Nobody was ever convicted of uh, kidnapping and murdering Madeline Marie O'Hare or her children. Okay, but Waters did lead the police to where the O'Hares were buried. He did. He wanted to get out of state prison. He wanted to go to a much more comfortable federal prison. And in exchange for that, he agreed to uh, take law enforcement to a ranch uh, outside of Austin to where the O'Hares were buried. And they were not... It wasn't a pretty sight. No. uh, The O'Hares had been dismembered and uh, burned, and along with their remains were also the remains, uh, the missing remains of Danny Fry. His head and his hands were also in that grave. Yeah. And they actually had to identify them through dental records, I guess, and DNA, and even the serial number from uh, Madeline's prosthetic hip. Yes. Uh, of course, DNA and everything else had to be done, but uh, the great Ed Martin was actually there, the IRS agent that listened to me, that gave me uh, the time of day. He was there, and uh, he was prepared to see that hip replacement. He knew it would be titanium, and it would be in perfect condition. Yeah, and And I was, you know, uh, you you did this amazing documentary, Tim, called Good Riddance, uh, about 
the search for Madeline O'Hare, and I and I was just amazed because you ha- you interview Ed Martin several times through that process, and and from a private investigator who has often worked with attorneys and often worked in criminal uh, criminal cases, I was just amazed that somebody from the IRS would be interviewing um, a potential murder suspect. Yep. He's not your typical IRS agent. He's uh, dyslexic. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine working complex uh, tax fraud cases and being dyslexic with oh. thousands of trans- trans- transactions to decipher? I can't. He's from Either. Louisiana, so he's still got that Cajun draw. Uh, but uh, he's anything but your typical IRS agent. We're at the end of our time, Tim. Uh, I just want to say that uh, Waters was... Uh, found guilty and sentenced to 20 years in prison. Uh, he was ordered to pay back the money, but would probably think that never happened. And he ended up dying of lung cancer finally a few years ago. So we have to go. I'm sad that this has to end. Tim, you've been a great guest. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. And join me next week when we declassify more real stories from real investigators every Thursday morning, 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. See you next week. It's PI's Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.